Welcome to Honorado and Bagnardi right here on iTunes, our podcast, as well as the ESPN Radio 104.5 The Team Facebook page every Wednesday afternoon, live streamed there. And of course, Radio Side 104.5 The Team ESPN Radio. We're joined by ESPN NBA reporter Malika Andrews and so pleased to be joined by Malika because she is in the middle of it all in this NBA postseason, covering the Bucks and the Raptors, the Eastern Conference Finals. Is game one kind of a, a wake up to Toronto in any way they had what felt like the game and then for all the criticism myself included we give Kyle Lowry for not having shown up in the playoffs in the past he's the only guy who showed up for the Raptors in the fourth quarter yeah I mean if this is a game that Kyle Lowry can build on I think that that's going to be something that uh will be an important piece for Toronto he was I don't think he was just great for Kyle Lowry in the playoffs because he he's been struggling lately. I think he was it was one of the better individual performances from any player uh, in the 2019 postseason thus far. He was all over the court. He was really excellent offensively. It just wasn't quite enough in the fourth quarter. Some of his late looks didn't quite fall, and he didn't really have any help. And there was no real answer for some of the uh, shots that Brooke Lopez was putting up, but. <laughs> You know, I said before the game, I either think the Bucks are going to, if they lose, they're losing by 25 points. If they win, they'll win by seven, and it's going to be ugly because this isn't a team that does well with rest. So now, you know, Toronto, they, they still have two games at home. They have one more to try to steal on the road. They have to look how to, uh, you know, recoup from what happened yesterday, and they need to look at how they can get Kawhi going a little bit more um, because Chris Middleton has been a really, he's been really excellent on him in the, in the regular season, and that sort of translated to last night. Malika, where were you before this series started in terms of who you thought would win, how many games we would, we would go? You know, I spent a lot of time around the Bucks this year, and my trust has built in them, um, and I watched them beat uh, Toronto three times in the regular season. So, so I picked the Bucks in six games, but it wasn't, you know when you pick something and it feels like this is strong, I got this, I have a great pulse on this, I didn't feel that way. It was sort of like, <laughs> eh, well, I think I'm going to go with Bucks in six because that feels uh, maybe like it could be right. But look, I mean, then Kawhi hit that amazing Game 7 shot over Philadelphia, and there were a couple of moments there where it was like, you know, the Raptors really are a talented team. What made me pick the Bucks is that I looked past, okay, we're going to look past Kawhi. We're going to look past Giannis. We're going to look past even Kyle and maybe Chris Middleton and to the rest, the other guys not named Kawhi and Giannis. And I think that the Bucks potentially have a little bit deeper of a supporting cast uh, than the Raptors do. So if you're Toronto, then what's the mindset after the game one loss, do you feel like, boy, that's really one we just had to figure out a way to steal on the road? It's kind of more deflating, or you think they're looking at it as there's enough to take from that game where they should feel like there's no reason they can't go out and beat this Bucks team in this series? You know, I think that th- that was a game that they really did need to win. It really looked like they were strong and they couldn't just close it out. I wouldn't be surprised to see them go into Toronto down 0-2. That being said, I expect a big punch back when we get up north. Uh, I think that, you know, Toronto has some of the best, along with Portland and probably, what's with the great fan cities that are happening right now? But I think Portland, yeah. Oracle, Toronto, they have some of the best arenas uh, and environments to play in in the NBA. And so I do think 
you know, I, I, I think that they're going to be punching back when they get on their home court, and we might even come back to Milwaukee for a Game 5 at an even series. But I think that, like I said earlier, if Kyle can build on that performance, if that Kyle Lowry shows up, because Kawhi's not going to have two games like that in a row. I think he will be able to figure out how to score more efficiently in the fourth quarter moving forward. And if you have both of those guys going on the same night, there really isn't a ceiling for this Toronto team. Because you brought up the Western Conference Finals, did you not lobby hard enough for the assignment out West to, to go back home for a little <laughs> well, bit? Well, that is what my happened? hometown. Oakland yeah. is where I'm from. So, you know, I wanted to spend a little bit more time with my parents. But uh, since I've been around the Bucks all year, and, and man, Toronto is such, it's one of my favorite food cities. Like, if I could go pick any city in the, uh, the over in the, in the States, up North to go eat in, like, it would be probably New York and then Toronto. Okay. Those are my favorite food cities. So restaurant-wise, like, I'm set. I'm just going to be eating my way through Toronto when I get up there. Very cool. All right. We're joined by ESPN NBA reporter Malika Andrews. Follow her on Twitter, simple, at Malika underscore Andrews. And maybe we'll sneak in a question about the Raiders leaving Oakland here before all is said <laughs> and done. Uh, what about Kawhi's future in Toronto, Malika, what is kind of the sense you get being around the league uh, this this full season and the Thunder being able to pull off the, the rabbit in the hat and, and keeping Paul George? Is that something that you think Toronto is going to be successful with with Kawhi this summer? You know, I think that Kawhi has done a really good job keeping a lot of his cards close to his vest, so I'm not going to pretend that I have uh, some sort of crystal ball insight into exactly what he's going to do, but if they are able to make the finals, Kawhi should feel very good about a decision to potentially stay in Toronto. That's the thing that's going on with the East right now with all of the final four teams. You had Philadelphia lobbying to keep Jimmy Butler. Uh, you had Boston lobbying to keep Kyrie. You have the Bucks who are looking down the, down the road next year at Giannis Attentacumpo's free agency. You have the Raptors in Toronto. Uh, you have Toronto and Kawhi. And so all of those teams, if you, that to the team that gets to the finals, should keep their star. Absolutely. And I think that so far the Raptors have proved they can win with Kawhi on their team. And I think that if they are able to take the next step to the finals, Kawhi will weigh that heavily into his decision in free agency this summer. How badly do you think the Eastern Conference misses LeBron James this year? Or being around it, do you feel like with the star power in these conference finals with guys like Kawhi Leonard and Giannis that it's enough and, you know, the league is showcasing its new young stars and and they're just as happy with that? You know, I think that at the beginning of the year, if you asked me that, I would have said, oh boy, this is going to be a make for a dud of the East. But the East has really risen to that occasion. There has been so much drama and interest in who's going to come out of the East this year, especially because I think a lot of people assumed that it would be Boston. And then Toronto and, and Milwaukee emerged as these giants, and it made a huge difference. I think there is more interest uh, and suspense in what's going to happen in the East and who's going to come out of it than that's going on in the West right now, just because I think there's an assumption that Golden State, because they are such a juggernaut, will just make it to uh, the finals yet again. And LeBron didn't even make it to the postseason. So I think at the beginning of the year, there was definitely a thought of, okay, what the heck is the East going to do now that LeBron is gone? But there has been so many other storylines and interest and intrigue and, and free agency questions that are going on in the East that it has, I think it has been the, the more fun half of the country to cover this year. 
That's the East. Malika, how about out West? Um, Golden State, Portland, you mentioned the two great fan bases, of course, and the home court advantages uh, that will be created because of it. How does this series feel to you, especially the way now we've seen Steph Curry 69 points in the last six quarters without Kevin Durant? You know, it's hard for me to bet against the Warriors. It's until they, I, I mean, but that said, I wasn't betting against LeBron until the very last minute. Uh, I think that they are a team that has just proven to be so good and so consistent. And I think when you get to the finals, uh, having been there matters. Having that experience matters. And I think that if Steph and Clay are able to continue to play like they are playing, um, both Toronto and the Bucks would have a tough time beating them. I think they would get a game or two, um, but I think I would still have to say the Warriors are probably going to win the title this year, especially if they're clicking on all cylinders like they are now. But that being said, I mean, Kevin Durant is not going to be playing again in game two this evening. And so when will we expect to see him back? A calf strain can be pretty pretty tricky. It can be something that can take a week or even two to come back from. And so if, you know, Steph or Clay falls into one of those ruts that they have this season, uh, potentially that opens the window for, for a new crown champion. So we talked about Leonard in the East and how the Raptors finish and how that might determine his future with the team. What about Durant in the West? Do you get any sense about his future with Golden State, win or lose this year? You know, I think that there's still some questions that Kevin is trying to figure out. I think that he has thoroughly enjoyed his time with the Warriors, but he's going to have to do some soul-searching this summer. Is it that he wants his own team, that he is the un unquestioned face of. If so, he will have to uh, make a decision probably to take a step away from the Bay because I think that regardless, that is Steph's team. That being said, it's really hard to walk away from uh, winning another ring because they know, he knows that this team with him is borderline unstoppable and that's something that it's pretty tough to voluntarily walk away from. Malika, you wrote a great piece, I forget how many months ago now, but for ESPN, the magazine, ESPN.com, um, about what teams are doing in the NBA on their practice courts and <laughs> pointing out right where the real value is in certain shots. I, I don't want to mis-explain it, so tell me a little bit about what some of these more analytically driven franchises are doing with tape and draw-ups on their practice court. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, nowadays coaches are literally carving up their practice courts and adding different markings that don't actually appear on the NBA court. So in uh, Philadelphia, Brett Brown has uh, the four-point line. He started it a couple of years ago. And it's not so much for guys to shoot and have it worth four points, but rather to be a spacing tool so that guys realize if you draw people out that far, uh, that creates so much more room in the paint for someone like Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons to operate in. And so if you station at the time, Dario Saric, uh, Robert Covington, and J.J. Redick, those types of guys around the perimeter, then that'll help create that space, obviously. Two of those guys are now departed. You add Jimmy Butler, you add Tobias Harris, but they're still trying to kind of do that sort of thing. They also have uh, post-up boxes for Joel Embiid that show where he needs to be when he has his back to the basket. Um, the Bucks have five squares that they have positioned around the outside of the uh, three-point line. And if you watch, the Bucks have this really um, – 
strict five-out system that when they run down the court, all five guys will be outside the three-point line. And that makes it so that Giannis can cut into the paint with the threat of all four of those other guys being able to shoot and drawing defenders out so that help help defenders can't collapse in on Giannis. And the idea is just that these guys, these coaches are trying to teach new age players. They're trying to teach visual learners. They're trying to teach these guys who play video games and literally see, you know, squares and lines underneath their NBA 2K players as they're running around the court. And so they're trying to provide a different way for these guys to learn and to teach. Uh, and it's it's spreading. Brooklyn has a four-point line. Atlanta has a four-point line. Um, a bunch of teams have corner three markings because that is um, – the shortest three-pointer to attempt in basketball, but oftentimes guys creep out of the corners because they think if they get closer to the ball, the person with the ball will be more likely to see them and pass them the ball. So uh, it, it, it was a really interesting story to work on because it's just not something you saw 10 years ago. The piece on .com is how the four-point line and other court markings are changing the NBA, uh, a piece back uh, from December, but but certainly applies until we one day see the four-point line. We are on our auto and Bagnardi. We're brought to you by Infinity. Leah, the only capital region dealer of Infinity as well as Samsung. Looking for a new TV or new major appliances? Stop in to Marcella's Appliance where you'll see the full line of Samsung appliances. So Malika, as you're talking to front office people, coaches, players, do they laugh at the notion of a four-point line or do they feel like it's really something that's coming at, at some point? Uh, I think they still they still laugh. Um, there's this idea that you know after that piece came out, a lot of talk shows uh, started talking about should the NBA have a four point line. A lot of coaches called me like, no, that wasn't the point. The point isn't to get the four point line; it's to use it as a teaching tool. And so, I don't necessarily think there's a lot of. Uh, excitement for adding a four-point line to the actual game anytime soon. That being said, you know, the NBA is growing. It's one of the sports that is still adding new fans and reaching new people in different parts of the world. And so any way, and, you know, offense is exciting. Big defensive plays, it's harder to get up for. And so in the ways that the NBA can look to make this a more exciting offensive game, I think they're absolutely going to take into account. And perhaps down the road, the four-point line might be one way, but it's it's not coming in the next. It, it's not coming in the next year. We'll probably see the age limit be lowered for guys coming out of college before we see a four-point line in the NBA. And maybe we even see a player. I don't know, like Zion Williamson, start the trend of telling teams he doesn't want to play there before he's drafted there. Mm. We've seen yep. it in the NFL, and maybe it's coming to the NBA <laughs> as well on Twitter at Malika underscore Andrews. Follow all of her coverage there as well as. ESPN.com through the Eastern Conference Finals and NBA Finals as well. Malika, thank you so much for the time here on Honorado and Bagnardi. Thank you so much for having me.